Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, please open to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Before we stand and read the Word of God, friends, I want to share with you two things. Number one, I pray that you're encouraged this morning. I want you to know that the Lord has orchestrated this day, as he does every day, but specifically this day, as we grieve the passing of our dear friend, sister in Christ, Joan Garrett, we can be confident of one thing, that she is with Jesus. She is with the Lord. Today I'm preaching on heaven. Today, more importantly, I'm preaching on the way to heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you're encouraged with the words of Scripture as we ponder the grieving of our dear sister, Joan Garrett. And the second thing I'll say this morning, and I said this to my brother, Bill Hall, on the phone today, I'm excited about preaching this text. If the Lord Jesus said to me, Adam, you have one more sermon to preach, and then I'm going to call you home, you get to pick whatever sermon you want to preach, I want you to know it would be this sermon. It'd be from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. As Blair was praying a moment ago, I was reminded of the wise words of my good friend, David Uran, who once said this. Don't waste this pain by neglecting to see Jesus. Friends, let's not waste this pain by neglecting to see Jesus. If you were able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Hear the words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, you are a good and great and almighty God, and we know that you have put together all the pieces of this day. Lord, I pray that you would guide our hearts and our minds this morning and comfort us through the word of God. If there is someone here who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, Lord, would you, by your grace and mercy, draw that one to yourself? For believers here today, may we be encouraged by the fact, Lord Jesus, that you have prepared a home in heaven for us. 
and that you have made a way for sinful man to get to a holy God because Jesus, you came and died on the cross for our sins. May the one way to heaven, Jesus Christ, be proclaimed today. May we stand on the truth of your word. Bless this time. Lord Jesus, you said in your word, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Open our ears, our hearts to the things of God. All of this we pray in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. I encourage you to use your bulletin today. The very back of it has an outline of our sermon. I pray that that's a good guide for you as we go through today's sermon. Friends, one of my favorite stories in the entire Old Testament is the story of Moses and the children of Israel. And we find ourselves caught up in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses was a herder of sheep. He was out there with the sheep and he looked and saw what? A burning bush. And he went over to that burning bush, and we know the Bible tells us that God Almighty spoke to him out of that burning bush. One of the first things he said is, boy, take your shoes off, because you're on holy ground. And God said to Moses, I want you to go to Egypt, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And as I said last week, Moses did exactly what I would have done. He made every single excuse in the book, or in the world, not to go to Egypt. And one of the things he told the Lord, one of the excuses was, God, I don't know your name. What if I get there and they ask me what God sent you? I can't even tell them, Lord, I don't even know your name. Well, the Lord provided the answer for Moses that day. And what did he say? My name is I am. I am that I am. Moses, that is my name. And friends, I think one of the reasons God says that his name is I am as Moses went to Egypt, because that was opposed to all the false gods in Egypt, because they were the gods who were not. I am versus the gods who are not. I am, that is my name. That's what God said. We even look at the book of Isaiah. When the Lord speaks to Isaiah, Yahweh uses the phrase, I am, to refer to himself. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, and we'll put the slide on the screen, the word of God says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. In Isaiah 48, God uses the phrase, I am. He says, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. So rooted in the Old Testament, our God, Yahweh, declares himself to be I am. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ comes and he ministers to those here on the earth. And John, the gospel writer, records the words of Jesus. And in John's gospel, seven different times, 
the Lord Jesus Christ uses the phrase, I am. And when he does, friends, Jesus is identifying himself as the same God who spoke to Moses in the Old Testament, who spoke to Israel in Isaiah. You see, when Jesus appeals to Exodus 3, to Isaiah 43, to Isaiah 8, Jesus is not portraying himself as a different God than the God of the Old Testament. He's saying, no, I am the God of the Old Testament. That Yahweh in the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, that's me. I am. But here in the New Testament, Jesus takes us further. He dives deeper. And through these seven I am's in John, Jesus explains to us even more of who he is. If you'll note on your bulletin, we'll talk about the seven I am's that Jesus uses in the book of John. In John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In John 8, I am the light of the world. In John 10, I am the gate and also I am the good shepherd. In John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 15, I am the vine. And friends, starting today and continuing through August the 11th, as a church, we are going to study these seven I am's to see who Jesus is. Have you ever wondered this question, who is Jesus? Well, the best way to get the answer to that question is to hear from Jesus himself. And that's what we're doing. Jesus is telling us who he is in these seven I am's. We're going to begin today in the 14th chapter of John. We ask the question, who is Jesus? The answer is this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, as we examine this passage, we're going to have three main points. First of all, we're going to talk about the comfort Jesus gives. Secondly, the promise that he makes. And third, we're going to look at that great I am of the sixth verse. But look back with me at verse 1. Let's talk about the comfort that Jesus brings. In verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Friends, there's no doubt about it. We live in a world that's filled with trouble. All we have to do is turn on the TV or click on the internet to any of the news websites. We're going to find a world that's filled with trouble. We look at it today. We see trouble with Iran, trouble with North Korea, trouble with China. There's issues even in the United States of America. Everywhere we look, there's trouble. And I know that every single one of us has trouble in our own lives. Trouble at home, trouble at work, trouble at school. In fact, if I were to take a list and start it on this row and pass it around and everyone was to write down all their troubles by the time we'd have a full list, might have to get some more paper, some more pens. We live in a world that's filled with trouble. Friends, I want you to know that John 14, our passage today, it identifies with a world that's filled with trouble. 
When we look back one chapter earlier to the context of what's happening from John 13, I want you to know in that chapter we find at least three specific points of trouble going on in the lives of the disciples. What are they? In chapter 13, the first one is this, Jesus told them, one of you is going to betray me. That was troubling to the disciples because they started looking around and saying, is it I? Is it I? Lord, is it me? That was very troubling to hear. The second one was that Jesus told them he was going to leave and they could not immediately follow him to where he was going to go. Wait a second, Jesus. Wait a second. You, I have followed you for three years and you're telling me that you're going away and I can't follow you? Immediately, that's troubling to my spirit, the disciples would say. And then number three, he told Simon Peter that he was going to deny him. That was very troubling for Peter. Peter, bold Peter said, no, I would go to death for you, Jesus. That's troubling to hear. But friends, it was in the midst of these troubles that Jesus offers the most comforting words he could ever give his disciples. Here's what Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Friends, this exhortation by Jesus, it was, a base, it was based on a love that was so tender and self-forgetful in character For when Jesus uttered this statement, he himself had a troubled spirit. He knew that he was getting ready to face a hostile crowd, the cross, and most importantly, the weight of your sin and my sin on his shoulders. The Bible says he was so troubled that he had sweat drops of blood running down his cheek. And it was in the midst of of all this, that Jesus consoles the very men who had already demonstrated their selfishness and men who would deny him the very next day. He says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. And friends, what Jesus is saying to them and to us today about life is simply this. He's saying, yes, in life, We are all going to go through trouble, but don't lose hearts. Have faith. Jesus is saying, you can trust me in the midst of that trouble. And what Jesus is teaching the disciples and teaching us is one of the greatest truths we could ever come to terms with in life. And it's this. Jesus did not come into this world to take away our troubles. He didn't. In fact, he told his disciples the trouble would come. Rather, Jesus says that in this world, when you have trouble, you can take heart because I've overcome this world. That's what he says. I didn't come to take away your trouble in this world, but you can trust me in the midst of your trouble because I have overcome this world. Yeah, friends, what do we do with our trouble? Instead of trusting God, as Jesus says, look, when I'm honest, 
about situations like this and going through trouble, a lot of times instead of trusting Jesus, here's what I do. I worry and I complain. I worry. You know, when it comes right down to it, worry is simply a lack of trust in God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus confronts worry when he says, Do not worry about tomorrow. Consider the lilies of the field. The Lord dresses them. They're more beautiful than Solomon. If he dresses those, he'll dress you. Consider the birds of the air. The Lord feeds the birds of the air. If he feeds the birds, will he not that much more feed you? Jesus says, don't worry about your life. In fact, he says, seek first the kingdom of God, right? And his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's what Jesus says about worry. But then there's complaining. I complain. When there's trouble, man, I like to go find the person who calls the trouble and maybe complain about that person or complain about the situation or complain about my being uncomfortable or complain about this or that, that I didn't see coming in my life. And I'm just going to complain about it. We're reminded from Philippians, Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Friends, when we worry and when we complain, we forget something that's very important that Jesus is reminding us of today. That whenever trouble crosses our paths, God already knows about it. You know, our troubles surprise us. There's some things we just don't see coming, but they don't surprise God. In fact, God is sovereign, and he's the one who allowed the trouble to come into our lives. It doesn't surprise him like it surprises us. So what Jesus is saying is that he didn't come to take the trouble out of life, but in the midst of a world where you have trouble, you can take heart because God's overcome the world. You can trust him, believe upon him, have faith in him in the midst of that trouble. We need to remember when trouble comes, God is not making any wrong moves concerning himself or us. Trust, friends, is the key. So we ask the question, do we trust God? Or do we simply just trust ourselves? Romans reminds us, all things work for the good of those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Jesus gives us the comfort in verse 1. But secondly today, he gives us the promise. Look at verses 2 and 4 one more time. If you have your Bibles open, it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Friends, we've already seen from this context, Jesus is comforting his disciples. Disciples who were grieving because they could not follow Christ to where he was going immediately. But what these men didn't realize was that Jesus, yes, he was going away, but it was not to leave them hopeless. 
He was going away to prepare a great reunion that would one day take place. Yes, Jesus promises that they would one day reunite in his father's house in heaven. Jesus' promises, you could say, is, is twofold. The first promise is this. Jesus promises that he's preparing a place for them in heaven. Let's talk about heaven for just a moment. You know, John, who wrote this gospel, he also wrote the book of Revelation. And in Revelation, John goes into great detail to describe the place of heaven. Here's some things that John says about heaven in Revelation. He says, in, in heaven, Jesus will wipe away every single tear. There'll be no more death, no more crying, and no more pain. It is a place where all things become new. Praise God. It is a place where the walls are made of jasper, the gates of pearl, and the streets are made of gold. Heaven will not need a sun or a moon because the glory of God will be its light. Nothing impure will ever enter it. There will be a river as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. This is the description of heaven from the book of Revelation written by the hand of John. There was another pastor, John Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on our current text, John 14. He wrote that John 14, for many people, was actually a more popular or encouraging description of heaven than John's writing in the book of Revelation. And they said, why? Pastor Boyce, why is that? Why are people more encouraged by John 14 than Revelation? And Pastor Boyce said it this way. He said, in Revelation, John is simply telling you about the place of heaven, describing the walls, the streets, the river. But in the gospel, Jesus is telling us that he is personally preparing heaven for you. Look at the last two words of verse 2. The Bible says, If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Friends, this is the difference between a house and a home. This is the difference between a place that has nice things and an eternal home where you will dwell forever. You see, heaven is not just a house, but it's a home. A specific place made for you. This text says that when Jesus ascended into heaven, as he's building mansions of glory, that his church, his people, you are on his mind. He is building a place for you. That's what the text says. An eternal home for you. Friends, I want you to know that right now, Joan Garrett is more alive than we've ever known her to be. She is in the arms of the Good Shepherd. And she's not just in a house, she's at 
home with the Lord, a place that Jesus Christ has prepared just for her. Be encouraged by those words. The second promise is that not only is Jesus preparing a home in heaven, but he also promises his disciples to come back and get them. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. If I'm going to leave you, I'm going to come back. That's what Jesus says. 1 Thessalonians describes this second coming in its fourth chapter. It says, The angel of God will blow a trumpet, the trumpet will sound, there will be the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the Bible says the dead will rise. Boy, I'd love to, I would literally love to be in a graveyard on that day because it's happening. The dead will rise. God is not finished with the body. And when he raises that body, 1 Corinthians 15 says that the mortal will put on immortality, that the corruptible will put on incorruption, and the saying will come true, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O grave, is your victory? Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that God's people will meet the Lord in the air. The last verse of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, encourage one another with these words. You see, the reason John, uh, Paul wrote 1, Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians 4, it wasn't to make a timeline. It was to encourage the people of God that death cannot defeat the Christian. That's the reason it was written. Encourage one another with these words is what Paul says. Because death will be swallowed up in victory. The book of Revelation, as it closes, we'll put this verse on the screen. John writes in the 22nd chapter, the 20th verse, the next to the last verse of the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, that's the promise. Well, let's now get to that final point, the I am. Look back with me at verses 5 through 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's take these one at a time, way, truth, and life. First of all, the way. I want you to notice something with me. Jesus doesn't say he is a way to heaven. He says that he is the way to heaven. I've got a story for you. Some of you have heard this story before. Eighteen years ago, Deirdre and I celebrated our first anniversary. And I grew up in a small town in East Tennessee. And up to that point, I really hadn't had any uh, experience being in any type of big city like New York or Philadelphia, Chicago. I was sort of a small town East Tennessee guy. 
In fact, I was so small town, East Tennessee guy, that I thought Charleston, South Carolina was a big city. Teve is already smiling and laughing because he thinks he, that's funny because he, Philadelphia is a big city, right? Well, 18 years ago to me, Charleston was a big city. So Deirdre and I went off to Charleston for the first time. I'd never driven it by myself. I was there as a boy, but I didn't ever drive it until 18 years ago. And we decided uh, that we wanted to go down by the market. Do you all know where I'm talking about? You've been to Charleston, you know where the market is? In the market, there's a lot of people uh, walking around. It's very active. A lot of people just cross the street at random. Um, a lot going on. There's horses and carriages, people getting tours of the old city. And remember, this was way before GPS. I didn't have, I didn't see, I couldn't ask Siri anything. We had printed out one of those map quest things. You remember when we all did that? And we're, we're looking through this and that. And, and, and we get right downtown, man, right down near the market. And I get completely lost. I don't know where I'm going. And I'm getting nervous because there's all these people around me. There's people blowing the horn at me because I don't know what I'm doing. And um, we come to this random stop sign down by the market and I don't know what to do, so I just decide um, I'm going to turn right. So I turn right, and I start driving down this road. And over, I had my window down, um, and I was driving this way. And, but coming this way, there's one of those horses and carriages, right? They're loaded up, getting ready for their historical tour of Charleston. And I'm riding this way, and the, and the carriage is coming this way. And the guy driving the carriage, he says to me, Hey, man, you're going the wrong way. And I thought to myself, well, how does he know where I'm going? <laughs> you know. And then he, but, but, but then he kept going. He said, you're on a one-way street. Didn't you see the sign? And at that moment, my heart sank. And I thought, oh no, what have I done? I'm going down a one-way one street the wrong way. And I thought to myself, surely he's wrong. Surely I'm not such a bad driver that I missed the one-way sign, right? And I'm looking around thinking, am I getting ready to cause a wreck or hit somebody? What's going to happen? So right in the middle of the road, a you know, we turned around, put a reverse, and we moved around, and I started heading back the right way. And I thought to myself, I'm going to go look at the point where I turned, and I want to see if there's a sign there, because I bet there's not. I'm, there's no way I'm that bad of a driver. And I drove down to the point where we turned, and I looked to the right, and guess what I saw? <laughs> a one-way sign. Friends, I had turned the wrong way. I want you to know it was clearly marked. There was no excuses at that point. It's there in black and white. What was my problem? I completely missed the sign. Friends, look down in your Bibles right now at John 14, verse 6. Because in John 14, verse 6, 
the Lord Jesus Christ holds up before you a one-way sign. And that one-way sign says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the Bible, Jesus gives us a one-way sign. Friends, don't miss it. Don't miss the sign. There is one way to God, and that is Jesus Christ, his son, whom he has sent. Don't miss it. Look around you in this room. There's a door there. There's a door back there. There's a door back there. There's a door back there. There's a lot of different ways to get into this room. It's not so with heaven. There's one way and only one way. Don't miss the sign. Peter declares in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under God given to men by which we must be saved. In our call to worship today, you heard from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says, there's one God and one, one mediator between God and men. That is the man Christ Jesus. And Jesus declares to all of us today, he is the one way to God. But secondly, he's the truth. I often say that Jesus and his word, that they are both truth in a world filled with lies. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies, yet Jesus is absolute and objective truth. And Jesus gives us his word, the Bible, which is truth. A final slide will show you is John 17, 17. Jesus says this about his word. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And I want you to know that God's word teaches us truth about many things, but three in particular, it teaches us truth about God, man, and salvation. It teaches us the truth about God, that he is good and great. He is sovereign, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. That he's the creator of all things. It also tells us truth about man. That God created man in his image and knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures in the garden. But the Bible also tells us the truth that man fell into sin in the garden. And when man fell, we all fell. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. But not only that, but you and I have all come short of the glory of God and our actual sin in our lives. And that sin has separated us from God. But then Jesus tells us the truth about salvation. That God demonstrated his own love towards us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ came and he died for us. It says that Jesus was fully God, yet became man without ceasing to be God. And he lived a sinless life, something that you and I could never do. And he died a substitutionary death. What that means is he came into the game of life for us. He was our substitute. He was God's propitiation, which means that all the wrath of God that was aimed for you and me was turned and it was put on Jesus on the cross. 
in Christ satisfied the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Why did he do that? To make a way. A way for sinful man to approach a holy God. Friends, how does way, truth, and life work together? Listen to this. God's truth to us today is that he has made a way, a way for you and I to have life. God's truth to us today is that he has made a way, a way for you and I to have life. Let's talk about finally the life because the Bible says that it is an abundant life. Abundant life, a life of knowing God, God knowing you. You can have abundant life in that you can pray and talk to God right now. That you can hear from God through the reading of his word. That if you're going through trouble, you know that God is with you and that he has already overcome this world. It's a life where you don't have to have anxiety or doubt or fear. It's a life where you don't have to fear death. Because when you die, you know there's an eternal home waiting for you that Jesus has prepared. And friends, you can have eternal life with God. As we close today, I want to end with a story. This is a story told by the great evangelist D.L. Moody. It says there was a man who had great wealth and he was dying. When the doctor told him he could not live, the lawyer was sent. He was sent to make out the man's will. The dying man had a little girl who was about four years old. She didn't understand what death meant, but when her mother told her that her father was going away, the little child went to the bedside and looked into her father's eyes and asked this question. Papa, do you have a home in the land where you're going? The question sunk deep into the man's soul, for he had spent his time and energy accumulating great wealth. In this life, he enjoyed a grand home, but now he had to leave it. Jesus asks, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Today, friends, if you are like this man, and you don't have a heavenly home. I want you to hear the words of Jesus today. The first thing I want you to hear is the comfort. Let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You see, Jesus didn't, take, didn't, didn't come to take the trouble out of life. But he said, in life, when you have trouble, you can take heart because he's overcome this world. I want you to see his promises that for his people, he is going not simply to prepare a house, but a home. And if he prepares for us a home, he will return to get us 
Yes, come Lord Jesus. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you don't have that home that he's promising to his followers, hear the I am. There's a big one-way sign in the Bible. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That you can come to know Jesus Christ today. That you can have the promise of that eternal comfort, that eternal home. If that is you today, go to the Lord. Repent of your sin. Turn to Jesus. Invite him to be your Savior, your Lord And he will give you salvation. If you come to Christ, he will never, ever turn you away. Don't miss the sign. Don't miss the sign. Secondly, know that he's the truth. He's the truth about God. He's the truth about us. He's the truth about salvation. He's the one who's giving us these promises, showing us the way to give us life. The truth for all of us today is that Jesus made a way for you and I to have life, abundant life, eternal life through the way Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please. Lord, comfort those who need comfort, not with my words, but with the truth of Scripture. Jesus, you told us that we would be sanctified by your truth, and your word is truth. For those grieving and hurting today, let us listen to your words, which say, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Specifically pray for David Garrett, For Emily Williams, those who have just lost loved ones. But we know that their loved ones, both of them, are with you. May they be comforted by your words. We have folks in this congregation today grieving for the loss of a dear friend. Lord, would they be comforted by your words. Secondly, today, Father, may we hear the promise. You're going away to prepare a place for us. That you might come back to take us to be with you. Let us be encouraged by those words. And Father, I pray that no one here today would make the same mistake I made 18 years ago, that they would miss the sign. Lord, you have held it up before us in John 14, 6. And may we not only see the sign, but respond to it. By faith in Jesus Christ. If there is one here who doesn't know you, may they come running to you today. Repenting of their sin, embracing you as Savior, God, and King of their lives. Thank you for the truth of your word and the abundant life that you give. Thank you for the truth that you made a way. You made a way for us to have life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.